Hey, Shutterbugs, I'm whispering because as you can tell, I'm bringing you to church in this episode. We've photographed a number of churches in our meetups lately, and I collected the best advice for photographing cathedrals and churches. Let's step outside to talk. There's my mother giving me the stern look. Come on, let's go. listening to the Shutterbug Life Podcast. It's a place for beginners to enthusiast photographers. You want to get better, you want to create something special, but you don't necessarily want to be a full-time pro. Well, join me every week as we talk about strategies for creating great pictures, building an audience, and making an impact with your images. I'm your photo coach and host, Linford Morton, but of course, you can call me Lynn. Let's have some fun. This is our Shutterbug Life. Hey there, welcome to episode 98 of the Shutterbug Life podcast. Today we are talking about photographing cathedrals and churches. If you've spent any time traveling, you probably noticed that in major cities, churches and cathedrals rank among the main attractions. I know when I traveled through Europe, just about every major city had a cathedral that you wanted to get in and photograph. And a lot of the same is true here in North America, where where I am. As a matter of fact, we have been making our way through a number of the churches and cathedrals during our meetups in Washington, D.C. and New York City. We went to the Washington National Cathedral, we went to the Basilica of the National Shrine, both in Washington, D.C., and in New York City, we went to St. Bartholomew's and St. Patrick's Cathedral. So we have been, and oh, and we did the Mormon's Temple outside the Mormon's Temple during the holiday season. So, you know, we've done a fair amount lately, and... I found myself, of course, sharing advice as we did each of these, and I thought it would be fun if we wrapped up all of the best advice from all of these experiences and shared them in one in one complete guide to photographing cathedrals and churches. So here in this episode is some advice, and I hope that it helps you the next time you find yourself photographing in a place of worship. With all due respect, we know that churches and cathedrals are places of worship, but they are also incredible structures to photograph. The architecture, the light, the lines and patterns all provide opportunities for you to create amazing pictures. Those same characteristics, the architecture, the light, the lines, the patterns, also create challenges for many photographers. 
If you want to create memorable images in your cathedral or church, follow these tips. First, call ahead to check the schedule. Now, this is one of those things that might not dawn on you until you actually get there, and then you're, you have a duh moment. While many cathedrals are open to the public all the time, they might have a service or an event schedule. And it, they might even have one even when it's not there, but it's, it's always good to check. When we went to the Basilica of the National Shrine, I checked to see if they would be mass, and it said that the mass would not start until 12.30, so I scheduled it from 9 to 12. I figured we'd be out in time. However, the Catholic University had an event scheduled for their recruits, and so while we were in the middle of the shoot, we heard someone start playing the organ, and... Uh, all of the students and their parents started filing in and taking their seats. And, it, you know, it wasn't that awkward because we could still work the perimeter. But these are the kinds of things you'd want to avoid. So if there was were an actual church service, you definitely might not want to be in their shooting. So call ahead or check the website to see what their schedule might be. Next, find the photography and or tripod policy. Many of the more picturesque cathedrals and churches are now posting photography policies. Now, you know the first question you always ask is whether or not you can bring your tripod. Every time I've posted a meetup for one of these cathedrals, Almost without fail, someone posts a comment, can I bring a tripod? And many of these churches already know that you're wondering that, so they have posted policies on photography. I'm going to share three, two or three of the ones we have encountered in the show notes for episode 98, so you can see what they look like. But they cover things like whether or not you can bring a tripod, how you can use the photographs, for instance, in the Washington National Cathedral, they, you know, their policy is, hey, you can come take pictures, but you can take pictures for your own personal use and not for commercial use. And if you're planning a commercial shoot, there is a different contact. I think most churches will have that policy. The Basilica of the National Shrine went as far as saying, we don't want you posting pictures of our, of, that you take here if you come in. So they all have varying degrees of, of restrictions. And so you want to check ahead of time to see what that is. And because if you don't, you could have the embarrassment of having someone run in and, uh, you know, confront you and challenge you and try and stop you from taking pictures. So check the policy. It's usually on the website, but uh, worst case, you can just call most of these churches or cathedrals and they should have someone who can help you with that. Okay, so now you're inside and you begin shooting. And well, first of all, you want, I usually start outside and work in, in many cases, just depending on the time of day and where the light happens to be. 
the, the, the real message here is you want to think through and have a shot list kind of an approach or a plan so that you make sure that you optimize your time and get the widest range of shots from your visit. And so you want to get the outside and, and that one is going to be more, um, you're going to be you know, more concerned about where the light is. And so you'll want to know, you know, where, you know, when you're going, whether before you go in or after you come out gives you the best opportunity for light on the structure. And of course, you know, you can check things like the photographer's ephemerist for, um, to get an idea of where the sun will be. So having gotten, having, you know, checked for that and, and now, taking care of the outside, the exterior shots. Then you go inside. And one of the things you can run into is is just there are so many opportunities for great shots that you can easily get overwhelmed. Go down, you know, a particular like, oh, I'm going to just track, follow these chasing lights and chase that. And then you run out of time and you miss. And so you come back with all of the same kind of shot. And you, you, you don't want that because when you decided to post your images, you want to have a good range for an, an interesting photo essay or, or picture photo um, post. So I use what I call the ESAD um, approach, and this is just something I made up, ESAD. It doesn't mean anything other than it helps me remember while I'm there what shots I want to go get next. And, and, it's, it's, and this is what it stands for. The E stands for the establishing shot. And if you follow this podcast, do you know that I always talk about the establishing shot being the wide shot, the postcard shot. This is the shot that everyone wants, the, the great grand structure, whether ex- exterior or interior. It's the Brady House shot. It tells you where you are. So you're going to want to get that shot because you're going to need that for any picture story that you create, the wide shot, okay? So you go and you get the wide shot. This is the postcard. This is the one almost everyone gets. And then after that, you go to S, which is storytelling mode. And in storytelling mode, you're usually shooting at like a head and shoulders distance if form, you know, and this is just sort of a way of thinking about it, but it is... What's going on? What do you see, feel? You know, shoot what you feel, shoot what you see, shoot what you, you know, shoot the things that just uh, sort of speak to you while you're there. This is your storytelling opportunities. And so you're going to shoot those. This is where you might see someone worshiping and get, you know, that moment or something that really tells the story of the day. You're, you're in that storytelling mode. Next, you have the A, and, and, and this now is where I'm thinking extreme angles. And, and, and the reason I say this is it's a way of getting, you know, yourself in the mode where you get some, some interesting comp shots compositionally. So ex- in, in any situation where you have a, a subject that is 
overly photographed and, you know, um, is very recognizable. One way to make it look different is to photograph from extreme angles, meaning putting the camera on the ground and and pointing up or extreme left or extreme right. These kinds of extreme approaches begin to give you a different look and feel than most for people, most tourists would get when they are in that space. So extreme angles is one. So the A stands for the extreme angles, but it is, but it's, I should make this C because it's really about composition and, and creative composition. And extreme angle is just one way to make sure you get that. But so you're going to also want to look at the lines and the patterns and uh, things like that with extreme angles on, on the A section. So you make what you're really doing is making sure you get the real creative shots that will also help your pictures stand out from the average tourist. And then D, the last of the four modes you're going to be in is is details. So this is when you go in now and you do extreme close-ups. You find a feature that stands out to you, whether that is a texture or a line or whatever it is, or color or shape or or just or a gargoyle or just anything. You're going to go in and fill the frame with that feature and make that feature stand out. And so this is where you really get to make uh um make your images stand out and 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 different from everyone else's because most people will see the big shots but and I mean big shots meaning the the establishing shots. But the details you see are probably going to be unique to what you pay attention to. So Think about that. What can I go in and fill the frame with? Extreme close-up for details. And if you follow this approach, establishing shots, storytelling, angles, and details, you're bound to come away with a with with a, a comprehensive coverage of just about not just any any church, but almost any travel photography location. So, work out work in the ESAD mode. All right next, your exposure. So keep in mind that when you use your camera meter, and if you are using the matrix metering, which is where the camera takes an average of the entire frame, your exposure you're going to have you're going to need to take your exposure down by a half to maybe even a full stop this is when you use your exposure compensation or if you're shooting in manual mode you're going to want to have that that um when rather than exposing for it to be into zero you're going to tick it back to minus one and and the reason for this is the range of light you will now get when you are photographing inside a cathedral or a church is going to be wider than your camera can capture. You will see both the detail in the stained glass and the, the lights on the other side, but the camera won't capture both. So what likely happens is with the majority of the frame now being dark, the camera exposes for that and your your 
your light, your windows rather, your stained glass windows are going to overexpose. So you have to choose either exposed for the windows or exposed for the interior and not the windows. So what's your subject? That's how that's your guidance. What's your subject? And if your subject is, I really want to get these windows and really show the intricate detail and artistry of the windows, you're going to have to underexpose by at least a stop. And if you do that, you're going to probably want to go in and fill the frame so that the window takes up a you know a good bit of the 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 real estate so that you don't have a whole bunch of darkness and just the window. You don't want that either where the window is, is just dwarfed because then that doesn't uh, make for a good composition either. So you're going to want to expose either in spot metering for the windows or if you are in in your matrix metering mode bring it down by at least a stop. And and that's when you sometimes you get the the light coming through the windows also and and sometimes you can have it so that the light will come through and you can get a pattern of the lights on a, another wall and that's really cool too. So remember that. And and the next message, the next tip is uh, similar to that one. One way you can get both is to bracket and or use HDR. So now, by now, most people know HDR stands for high dynamic range. And what it allows you to do is take three images, one that's underexposed, one that's overexposed, and one that is at exposure neutral and combine th- the three images later in uh, in in software you can do this um in photoshop or um uh, special HDR software. So this allows you now to to stretch the range of light to dark wider than you could get in one image. And I say bracket because th- this is many of your cameras will have a bracketing mode, which which uh, which will automate that process for you, so that you can set it up to bracket so that it will bracket by one stop. So when you depress the shutter three times in a row, the camera will automatically go under by a stop over by a stop and then at neutral so that you get all three and then you can probably do that you know just firing away with in burst mode if you want to but not necessarily the point is you're getting these three and so now you can still get the wide range of light to dark all right so the next tip is this might be a place in many of these where you might use custom white balance. So we know white balance is where your camera measures the temperature, the color temperature of light using the Kelvin scale. And on most of your DSLRs, you will see you will see that your camera offers you about a half a dozen presets for um uh, for different kinds of light. So you will see cloudy, you will see shade, you will see sunny light, you will see um, um, the GE light, the incandescent light rather, and fluorescent light and flash. You'll see um, for most cameras, presets for most of these kinds of lighting conditions. But inside a church or cathedral, you usually have... Uh, 
a different, like a non-traditional light source or a mixture of two or three different kinds of light sources, which makes your camera sometimes miss the correct light, um, um, light color. I mean, the color of light, rather. My brain's just fried today. So, so what you will find is many cameras, if you go to your auto white balance, the, the, it will get close to it. But <clears throat> what you might want to do is for the correct white balance, go with custom, which means you're going to have a white card or a some pure white um reference material that you will use to measure use your camera use use your camera to to recalibrate and say measure this and and know that this is what white looks like in this light and with that you will, will custom calibrate it i i i'll i'll link to another episode where i talk, where i show how you do that in the show notes for episode 98 now you know, one of the things we did on one of these, um, one of the these trips, and it, it, there's a free app called Light Meter, and I have it, and I've used it before, and I found it to be amazingly accurate in measuring light. Well, and on one of their upgrades, they must have added white balance to it too, and I did not even realize that until I saw one of our one of the other members using it to do a custom white balance. So you now point, you know, get the, if you get the app and you point it at the light or or the location where you want to shoot, it will measure the light and tell you the exact um, Kelvin temperature to dial in. So he was checking it and saying, okay, here it's saying 3,200 Kelvin. And with your DSLR, then you can go onto your DSLR onto one of your custom white balance settings where you can just dial in the specific um, 3,200 Kelvin. And now you are shooting and getting that's another way of getting custom white balance. So um, that's that that's a cool option as well. But you want to pay attention to the white balance. Of course, I'm obligated to say if you are shooting in raw, you don't really need to worry about it because in JPEG, the white balance you select is baked into that photograph. Whereas in raw, you can go back and change it later without uh, worrying about damaging any uh, your 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 photo your image or the pixels, and and in those cases, what you often do is find a neutral, a pure white or neutral color that you can, in most of your photo editing applications, take a color dropper and just dot that neutral part of the frame, and it will automatically. Um, adjust everything. So for instance, when we took a photograph, a selfie photograph with the um, cardboard cutout, as you see of the Pope, knowing that his robe is white, I could take that little eyedropper and just tap it on his robe and and, uh, know that my software application will automatically adjust it for based on that. So that's another way of doing it. All right. So the next tip is to find creative ways to stabilize the camera. So we talked about looking for their 
their photography and or tripod policies. And I am willing to bet that in most of these places, when you do find the policy, it will tell you no tripods. A lot of these locations now, uh, churches, cathedrals, and even places like museums are are now having instituting policies that say no tripods. And I, I think part of it is a safety issue. They don't want these wide um, tripods spread out in the middle of walkways and where they might trip someone. So you're going to have to find creative ways of stabilizing your camera. And the reason is, in most of these these cathedrals, you've, you're going to find you have very low light. And so, to, to go handheld, you're going to have to boost your ISO. I, and depending on the, the church, when we were in St. Bartholomew's in, in New York City, it's so dark in there that we're, you know, shooting north of ISO 4000, to be able to go handheld. This is when you want to take a fast lens, like, and by that I mean one that opens up to f2 or or faster, which is or lower, f1.8, f1.4, if you can, so that you can open it wide and and not have to boost the ISO as wide. If this is confusing you, you're going to want to go back and listen to a podcast episode on the exposure triangle. So you're going to want to either have a fast lens so that you can open up your aperture very wide and handheld, and then you still you will still have to boost your ISO. Now, you know that these conditions will get you a shot where you don't get where you don't have camera shake, which is you know going to be the chief culprit for ruining any image in a low light condition. And you're trying to avoid camera shake, so you, meaning you're going to try and make sure your shutter speed is at least the focal length or faster. So one of the things I would do in a situation like that is go into shutter priority mode and dial in the the slowest shutter speed that I want to get in that situation. So, for instance, I'm shooting with my Nifty 50, for instance, and because I it's you know it's a fast lens, I will go into shutter priority and dial in if I'm handheld one fiftieth of a second, and let the camera then choose the either the ISO and or the f-stop for me. Because the thing I care most about is not getting camera shake. All the other things I can deal with later in 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 post production. So I dial in and I say, okay, I, whatever you do, don't you you know shoot any slower than one fiftieth of a second because that's my that's my focal length. Now let's say I was shooting with a wider angle, like a, a thirty five millimeter, then I could make that one thirty you know one thirtieth of a second and uh, be okay. Sometimes you might even want to make it just a little faster just to make sure. So keeping that in mind, you might want to do that and uh, and uh, boost your ISO to make sure that you get a shot without camera shake. Of course, the other way to do this gets back to our tip is to Find a way to stabilize the camera, and then you can bring your ISO back down to 100 or 200 where you have really the best quality. You know when you boost your ISO, then you get more noise in the image. So you're going to want to bring it back down to 100 or 200 ISO 
or even 400 will get you a better quality image. And then you have to find a way to get the camera out of your hand and get it to shoot without you actually touching it at the time the camera takes an image because that hips helps keep you avoid camera shake. Now, some of our members brought gorilla pods, and these are the kinds of tripods where you can almost twist the legs and wrap them around just about anything. And it's a, a convenient way of you know going in where you d- where the tripod policy says no, and just maybe wrapping the camera around the side of a of a of a uh, of a pew or something like that. So. A gorilla pod is a good tool. A small tabletop tripod is something you can use to get away with it also. And, and, or you can use these bean bags, which they sell, which are also, you know, something you can travel with and put your camera onto the, the bean bag. Some of them actually screw into the little tripod, um, um, where the tripod plate would go into on your camera, and some of them don't. You just you know place the camera on it. So either way, it gives you a chance to get the camera out of your hand. Then you use your remote control or cable release to depress the shutter. Or if you don't have a self timer, uh, if you don't use your self timer, that will take the shot two seconds after you depress the shutter. Now sometimes even if you don't have any of those, you can use. Just, you know, whatever you have. And uh, my buddy Steve Rosenbach, who um, does the New York meetups with me, he, you know, he, he gave me one of those tips. He said, just put the camera on the floor in the middle of the um, in the middle of the cathedral and at least you'll get a good shot of the ceiling. So you'll see on the on the show notes where I, sh- I have a couple number of the ceiling shots where I did that, where I put the camera onto the ground and the ceiling shot you'll see that I got in St. Bartholomew, St. Bart's, that was, tw- that, that ended up being 20 seconds long. And I had to you know, go that long just to be able to, to get the ceiling shot at a low ISO. I think that one was 400. Now, one of the things you'll notice is in, in that, in that church, it was very dark. And so w- with that long shutter speed, the camera sensor just keeps collecting and collecting light and collecting, you know, phot- photons until, you know, it runs out. And so the result was a level of detail you couldn't even see with the naked eye. So if you walked in there, if you saw the image I got with 20 seconds and you walked into the church, you wouldn't even notice any of that detail. But because these these digital cameras are just keep collecting as long as they, they are open and exposed, they just keep collecting and collecting detail. And uh, uh, Steve explained it you know, probably much better than I did on my post. I'm going to include that so you can see how he explained it as well. And it it it's so cool. So it keeps collecting detail. And so now you get to see a level of detail that you could not even with the naked eye. And that's kind of cool, too. So that's another benefit of of keeping uh, finding a creative way of stabilizing your camera, even if it means just placing it on the ground. 
Now, the next tip is if you're shooting flat subjects, remember to try and recreate that sense of depth. If you are in a church, most of your subjects will be the walls or the ceilings or some other some other subject where it's going to be flat. And remember, even though it looks really cool to you, when you take your photograph, you are now creating a 2D image. And so you go from flat to flat. And double flat equals usually some t- usually an image that looks just really not as interesting as it might have to you looking at it with the naked eye. And so you, you've got to start thinking about that while you're shooting and looking and start looking for ways to recreate that sense of depth. The easiest way we typically do it is by shooting at an angle, 45 degree angle or some angle will now let that flat subject move to you or and or away from you. And that recreates the sense of depth with your cre- creative use of of depth of field you can have a shallow depth of field and that also will help create a sense of depth and then you can use an old landscape trip trick and uh, layer the image meaning you have an you have something in the foreground in the middle ground and in the far um, in the in the far end of the image and that movement across the frame that layering will also give you a sense of depth. And and with these all a lot of these arches that you see inside, it makes it easy to do that. I'll I'll of course have examples of this so you can see what I'm talking about. So just remember you have to retry to recreate a sense of depth with all of these flat um flat subjects inside. So that's the other uh, tip was layer the image, um, shoot at an angle. And then the second, the next tip was layer the image, foreground, middle ground, and then the back of the image have something of interest in each of these three regions so that your eye moves progressively across the frame and that creates a sense of depth. Next, if you are, one of the things when you're doing architectural photography that you have to be aware of are the lines. And it's easy if you just look up when you see something in the sky and your brain and your eyes help adjust everything so it looks normal to you. But when you point your camera straight up, and especially if you are in a wide angle uh, focal length or if you're close to one of the lines are, it's you, you start to now get the lines to, to create create start like creating what's called a keystoning effect and a keystoning effect means that you, if you've ever seen for instance a projector where you are sh- projecting uh, onto a screen but the projector is, is closed and shooting straight up and you see how the image now is wider at the top than it is at the bottom and the the whole image is no longer square it's wide at the top and it it's almost like coming down like almost like a triangle to a smaller dimension at the bottom this is called the keystoning and so the lines will will instead of going straight up and down will be at an angle the 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 pillars and lines closest to you will start to to um 
look like they are moving uh, at an angle rather than straight up and down. And, and this drives architectural photographers crazy. Now, normally the fix for this is keeping your camera parallel to the ground. And so, which is why, you know, like an architectural photographer photographing a a building, for instance, will go up like in the building across the street from them and try and get high, you know, like for as many floors up to shoot through a window as they can because that ability to keep the camera now parallel to the ground will allow you to have straighter lines. Now, our software these days helps to correct that. And so you can go into Lightroom or many of your software packages and, and go to some sort of perspective control, and that will allow you to straighten the lines up. You're going to want to do that so that the lines and will begin to look again the way you saw them and uh, the straight up and down that you saw with the natural eye. So keep that in mind. Ideally, you want to keep the camera parallel to the ground. If you are shooting at a wide angle focal length, you, you, everything close to you, it will potentially start to have that effect. You want to pay attention to these kinds of things, okay? Now, the next one is one of the things you want to think about with your composition is where your, where your horizon line is, because you can use that creatively. And of course, we know in landscapes, the horizon, you, you always want to know what the horizon is because you want to keep that horizon line straight. And you can use that by placing that in the lower third to focus on the sky or the, the upper third to focus on the foreground. Well, you could do the same thing inside of a building or, or when shooting an interior. And that horizon line is going to be where the floor and the wall meet. And that is, even if you can't see that exactly, that is the considered the horizon equivalent. And so just like you would when you're photographing a landscape, you can move that line in the lower third and you will be now featuring um, what's up, uh, you know, the ceiling and the walls, or you can move that line up and feature the foreground. And so you have the opportunity to move that line around to, you know, photograph to, to showcase different parts of the image. And so think about that and use it creatively as you would when you were, when you are shooting landscapes. Okay. Next is don't forget to include people in some of your photographs. I know the the inclination is to try and wait till everyone is gone and really just make it about the structure. But again, including people, as we've talked about in previous episodes, can create can bring life into and storytelling opportunities in to your images. Man, I when we were in St. Pat Patrick's Cathedral, I tried for, um, with, and, and was futile in trying to get this lady who was kneeling and praying. Um, she had these white boots and the white background is really cool. And I was trying to be really creative with it and just get the boots and, and the reflection. And, uh, but, uh, because I was being sneaky and, uh, and shooting from the hip, um, I got camera shaken all of mine, but, 
It's scenes like that where you might see someone quietly praying or worshiping, where you might get um, the opportunity to, to remember we talked about the ESA, the, the S is for the storytelling, where you get an opportunity to really tell a story or show a mood, for instance, and create and, and really portray the reverence that um, this church and the worshipers would have inside. And so... Um, look for people. People are also great um, reference points to sh- to show scale. If you have a a very wide cavernous structure, having someone inside who's dwarfed by the space is also a good way to fo- a good reason uh, to photograph people and include them creatively. So don't forget to include people in your photograph, and then. Uh, the the next tip is the light moves a lot in these. So the cool thing is you've got to keep watching the light and the way it comes through the um, the stained glass windows because as light keeps changing, you will see the light on the opposite walls. For instance, those lights will move and they'll change, and so. Even though a lot, a lot of what you shoot inside will will be you know the same all the time, the light creates very different effects. So always be aware of the way the light is uh, is coming streaming in and the effects it creates because this is where you have the opportunity to get once in a lifetime shots. Okay, and then the last is if you go with a group like we did. Keep an eye out for other photographers because, you know, this is good old karma. One of the things that almost always happens without fail is once you get a shot lined up and you are ready to, you know, shoot and uh, you're, you're doing a long exposure here, someone always just wanders into the shot and just ruins it. And to the extent you can, look out for your other photographer friends so that you aren't doing that to them. It's tough enough getting a shot without uh, someone else, a tourist or someone wandering into the shot. You don't want one of your photographer friends wandering into it as well. So the old golden rule applies here. As you're moving around before you set up, just, just look around you to make sure that uh, no one else is set up for a shot that you might just be ruining. And you don't want to do that any more than you want them to do that to you. And along the same lines, be aware of worshipers. Now, this is more about what we would call in the military situational awareness. You got to know where you are and what's going on around you. Don't be so caught up in chasing the shot that you forget that you're in a place of worship. And most people who are there are there to worship, to commune with their creator. And you don't want to take away from that by being overly um, distracting. So keep in mind that there is an overall um, attitude of reverence that is expected while you're in there because, you know, if, if you're too distracting, they, they're likely to ask you to leave. And that would be a shame because uh, you don't want to be distracting from anyone who is there for people. You got to remember people are in there and sometimes they're, they're going through stuff and they're there because they just need um, whatever support, emotional support for whatever um, 
issue might be going on in their lives. And so just to remember that uh, some of that might be going on around you as well. So be aware of the worshipers because you are in their space, right? So those are your tips. And I hope that you found something there that was that would be helpful for you the next time you are in a cathedral or a church. And, you know, many of these will be helpful even if you are in a space like a museum or or some other low-light uh, location that you might encounter on in your travel in your travel photography experiences. That's it for this episode, and I hope you found that helpful for you. So the next time you photograph a cathedral or church or a house of worship, you will be able to use some of the tips we covered today. Now, I don't know if you have done any cathedral photography lately or if you plan to, but just share in the comments what your experiences have been and what tip worked for you if I didn't cover one that you find helpful when you are in that situation. So just drop them in the comments either here at episode 98 or if you are reading or if you're following this on Facebook or any of your social media platforms, any of those comments will do as well. All right. Look forward to hearing what your experiences have been. If you enjoyed this episode, you can make sure you don't miss another one by going to shutterbooklife.com forward slash subscribe. And that way I can send you, I'm a new episode is released. You can also subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. By the way, the Shutterbug Life is more than a podcast. We are a community of friendly photographers who shoot, share, and learn together. You can join us in our Facebook group by going to fb.shutterbuglife.com and uh, just requesting, and I am sure to let you in as long as you look like a photographer. (laughs) If you find yourself in Washington, D.C. or New York City, come on out and shoot with us in one of our meetups. And if you are not in one of those cities, of course, you can find one wherever you are. It's I think it's it's really helpful and important for you to get out and share with kindred spirits. Shoot with them, share with them, and learn together. So wherever you are, find an opportunity to do that. I hope this episode, again, you can find the show notes at... at episode 98 at shutterbuglife.com forward slash podcast. There's a little search bar there. If this isn't the most recent and just put in episode 98, it should come up right away. And uh, then you can, you can join in. All right. So thank you so much for being a part of this community and uh, listening to another one of our episodes. All right. So I hope to see you and shoot and share with you either in person or online and wherever you go, whatever you do, enjoy your Shutterbug life. Take care.
don't worry. Our regular music will be back next week.